Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So I want you to take a, a minute, think of the, the person or the people, uh, the issue or the issues that are causing you the most uh, challenge or stress or pain or difficulty, and uh, take a moment and as the psalmist says, pour out your hearts to God, ask for His intervention, for His provision, for His healing, for His help. And I'm going to close our prayer time in just a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray to you because we know you hear us when we pray and, we, and you do things when we pray that you don't do when we don't pray. Lord, I pray for all of those now who've uh, cried out to you for help, for strength, for healing, for guidance, for provision, uh, for their loved ones. And I pray that you would open their eyes today and these next few days that they may be able to recognize your activity, your hand uh, in response to these prayers, that their faith might increase, that their love for you may increase. And I pray that you grant them your grace uh, in the midst of what they're facing. Lord, we're grateful for these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. You know, as, as we jump into our uh, Bible study this morning, I'm, uh, I have a fear, and my fear is that some of you may go on autopilot when you see that we're going to be talking about the gospel again today. And I fear that you might say something like this, hey, I, you know, I've been a Christian for years. I know how I became a Christian. I understand how people become Christians. I know the gospel. Can we get on to the deep stuff? Can we, uh, I want to grow. Well, let me say this. Just remember, we are mistaken when we believe that the gospel uh, is the ABCs of the Christian life. Uh, We're mistaken. The gospel is not the beginning. It's not how we start. It is not just the ABC. It is the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel is the Christian life. It is how we begin the Christian life. It is how we end the Christian life here on this earth and are translated to the, to the next uh, life in eternity with our Lord. It's how we live day to day. It's how we properly respond to the joys that we encounter every day. It is the solution to the barriers that we are facing in our life, uh, morally, ethically, spiritually. Uh, it, is the, it, is the, it is the life. It is uh, Christianity. And so uh, I read a writer this week talking on this subject, and he said this, if you think that you grasp, have a firm grasp of the gospel, you probably don't. But if you think that um, you realize that you you hardly are scratching the surface, surface that you may just begin, 
be beginning to, to see all of the implications of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and that you, you, you realize, oh, no, I may never get it. Maybe you're about to get it. And uh, I, uh, I am in my 41st year of ministry now, and I've been soaking in the gospel again as of in the past few months as we've been walking through the book of Galatians. And uh, it caused me to... Uh, send out uh, a tweet a few months ago, and I went back this morning early and looked it up, and here's what I sent out. This month marks 40 years in the ministry for me, and I'm still trying to comprehend the gospel. I am still trying to comprehend it. And so I want to appeal to you uh, with the words of no less than Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, uh, approximately 500 years ago. Here's what he said. The truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well. Teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. I like that. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to back up and run at it again. And I, wanna, I want you to, to do so to turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, way back over in the New Testament, about right there. Uh, six small chapters. And uh, book of Galatians chapter 2, we're going to be walking through verses 6 through 14. Yeah, while you're finding it, remember, this book was penned by the Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, to the Christians, all of them new Christians, in the, ch in the brand new churches in the region of Galatia, which is what is now modern uh, Turkey, and he was writing uh, to combat a, an anti-gospel, a non-gospel, a, a completely other uh, gospel that was being promoted uh, to these new believers, and it was disturbing them, it was upsetting them, it was destroying their, their faith, and they were all right on the verge of adopting it. And so he's writing to put a, put a halt a stop to the spread of this non-gospel that was destroying their lives. And so in chapter 2, the first part of chapter 2, Paul is, is giving, uh, continuing to give his historical account of him coming to faith, being called as an apostle, being given the gospel uh, directly from uh, God. And, um, and he, uh, he, he tells of two visits. One is a visit from Antioch down to Jerusalem, to the first church of Jerusalem, uh, to meet with the leaders of the church, James, Peter, John, the apostles, and hammer out clarity on, on the gospel, what it is, and, and the implications for our lives. And it tells of, a, uh, of another visit, of Peter's visit, then subsequently to the church at Antioch, where there were many, many Gentile believers. And we find there that uh, a, a group had come called, uh, described by Paul in this passage as uh, certain men from James, men who came from James, speaking of James, the senior pastor of the church at Jerusalem, from the church that was made up of primarily Jewish Christians, maybe a handful of Gentile Christians. Uh, he also calls them the circumcision group. And uh, they were ones who... Pure-hearted, thought they had it right, but they didn't. They were, they were promoters of this non-gospel. And so it tells of this visit and what happened. Now, last week we dealt with one part of this story. We, we saw how the Apostle Peter yielded to 
that universal pressure. I mean, you face it, I face it. The Bible calls it the fear of man or the desire to please people or uh, seeking the the temptation to seek the approval of significant people in our lives rather than the approval of God. And we saw how the gospel is the only cure for uh, our yielding to people-pleasing or the approval of man more than the approval of God, the fear of man. So let's, let's jump back in. We're going to look at this group uh, today called the circumcision party or group or these certain men who came from James. Verse 6, chapter 2. Now from those recognized as important, speaking of the apostles at Jerusalem, what they really were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. Take your pen, underline that phrase in your Bible. They added nothing. Now, how many of you got a Bible you can't write in? You got one of those? Good, good. Uh, then go ahead and write in it. Uh, underline that. They, they added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised or the Jews, I mean, for the uh, Gentiles, excuse me, just as Peter was for the circumcised or the Jewish people. Since the one at work in Peter for, the apost- for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles, or the Gentile believers, before, here they are, certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Same group. Then the rest of the Jews or the Jewish Christians joined this hypocrisy there in the church at Antioch so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord, and we're going to jump in. Now, here's, here's a big point. I want you to write down two words on your note sheet. Here they are. Add nothing. Write that down. Add nothing. Here's, the, here's how the gospel works. We're going to next, next three talks, this one and the next two, will be about how the gospel works. And the first thing we learn about how the gospel works is this. Add nothing. Add nothing. When it comes to understanding the gospel and then living out the implications in our lives, add nothing. Now we find here that this group that was called certain men who came from James or the circumcision party. They came and they were stirring up, uh, stirring up trouble. If you want to know what they believed, you can find what they believed in the book of Acts. You may want to look this up later. Acts chapter 15, 
verses 1 through 5. It's the Luke's historical account of this, uh, of this um, uh, conflict here. Here's what it says. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers there at Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5, but some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees or those who were Jewish Christians who came out of the party of the Pharisees or who proclaimed themselves, understood themselves to be Jewish Christians, stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, let me see your eyes a second. This group came from the mother church. From where James, the pastor, was. The greatest pastor in the known world at the time. Brother of Jesus. And they they came from a gospel-believing, Jesus-plus-nothing church. They were sent out from... They came from James. He says later on he didn't send them. But they didn't believe what James believed. They did not understand what James understood. Uh, They did not hold to the gospel that the church at Jerusalem held to. They thought they did. You say, Pastor, were they liars? No, I did not believe they were liars. I think they were pure-hearted. They just had it wrong. Now, here's why I'm saying all this. I worry about you, and I worry about this church, because it's this. It is really, really easy to belong, to come to, attend, participate in a gospel-believing, uh, uh, Jesus-plus-nothing church, and yet not get it, and not understand it. And hold to a, another religion that we'll, we're going to call it next week. Another religion entirely, which is a Jesus plus something religion. Those do not describe different Christian denominations. They describe two different religions worldwide. That's not, they're, they're, not in, they're not under the umbrella of Christianity, biblical Christianity. It's two different religions. Jesus plus nothing is Christianity. Jesus plus something is something else entirely. It's, it's not Christianity. It is another religion entirely. And that's what these guys believe. Now, it's real easy for lieutenants of a strong leader to go out in the name of the strong leader and misrepresent the leader because they either go to seed and they go a little too far or they didn't quite get the nuances or get the message right. And these guys didn't get it right. They did not have it right. And it's very easy to make the same mistake. You see, they believed in Jesus. And they believed that you should believe in Jesus Christ in order to be saved, in order to become a Christian, in order to be set right with God, but... You must add something. Here's what it was. They said they believed that you must add all of the regulations of eating and drinking and dressing and traveling and be circumcised, as it says in the ceremonial clean laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, these were called in the Jewish faith, based on the first five books of the Bible, the the ceremonial laws or the clean laws. And they were what made a Jewish person ritually clean uh, or unclean uh, for the worship of God. For example, here's just a handful of them. If you ate the wrong things... You couldn't go in to worship God. If you mixed, if you intermixed and, and inter, uh, if you, uh, how do you say, weave, wove, I can't get my verbs right there. But if you mixed flax and wool in the same garment, 
You couldn't go in to worship God. If you touched a dead body, you couldn't go in to worship. There were all these rules uh, for the proper worship of God found in, in the, the books of Moses. Uh, you must be circumcised. You must follow, you must keep the Sabbath and all of the Sabbath rules. And you must follow all the special ceremonial worship days of the Jewish culture and the Jewish faith. So, the circumcision group said that in addition to believing in and receiving Jesus Christ, you must also obey all the ceremonial laws of the Jewish faith in order to become a Christian, in order to be set right with God, in order to be acceptable to God. Faith in Jesus plus something was necessary to be set right with God. Okay, got it? Here's Paul's point. No, you don't. No, you don't. That sent shockwaves through the Jewish Christian community. No, you don't. It was, that was the battle. That was the conflict. Now, this, this, now, let me say, not just conflict back then. This issue over these ceremonial laws has caused confusion inside the church of Jesus and outside with unbelievers ever since the church has existed. And it does so today. Let me, let me illustrate what I mean. This has caused some of you who are, most of you here are already followers of Jesus. And this has caused you some confusion. And it is this. What we say is, how can Paul say this? These are commands in the Bible. I mean, this is, this is Exodus. This is Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. This is the Bible. This is the Word of God. And if Paul says... We, we can honor this part of the Bible, but we don't have to honor and keep this part of the Bible. How do you know what to obey and what to ignore? I mean, this is confusing. What do we do? It's very confusing to Christians inside the church, right? Have you ever, have anybody here ever wondered about that? Three of us, just me. Okay, well, I hear it all the time. Now, what? And, and you, sometimes you see it in the in the health food sections, you know, diets written up. And so you got to follow all this and it falls on over into the, you know, you probably, if you're a Christian, you'd really do this and cause confusion. Now, for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, it's also caused confusion for you. I have actually seen this in all, in the great literature of the Western world. I've seen this issue in, uh, in our movies I've seen it on television. It comes up frequently. And here's, here's how it goes. Here's how it goes. Um, people will say, you hear it all the time. People will say, the Bible, now the Bible says this, and the Bible says that about morality, about marriage, about sexual values and behaviors, about what's right and about what's wrong. And others respond, sure it does. But it also says all of that right in the sections where it says you can't mix flax and wool and you can't touch a dead body and ladies can't go to worship if they're having their period and you should take a disobedient child outside the city gates and stone them with rocks until they die. So, and so they just say then none of it's of value. So you just throw, just throw the whole Bible. You don't, you don't pay attention to the Bible. You see the issue? It's caused confusion, hasn't it? It has. It does. 
So much confusion about these ceremonial rules. Well, here is the way it was all worked out by the spiritual leaders of the early church. Peter and James and John and the Apostle Paul and the other leaders. And here's what they said. Here's how they finally worked it out. They said, no, the Gentiles do not have to obey the ceremonial laws of the Jewish faith in order to become followers of Jesus, in order to become Christians. Now, they said, well, is Paul dishonoring those laws? No, no, he's not. His point was not to dishonor them. His point was to clarify their purpose, to clarify why God gave them in the first place in the first five books of the Old Testament. And here's what, what Paul would say. Now, uh, wake up and zero in because I, I need you to stick with me on this just a second. This might get a little muddier than my sermons usually are. Paul would say to them, if you obey the clean laws, the ceremonial laws, and you think it, is, it has spiritual and, and uh, religious value, it adds spiritual or religious value to your relationship with God, you've missed it. You're out of line. He, he's saying it's one thing to say we're Jewish and we have a Jewish culture. And in our Jewish culture, this is the way we eat, and this is the way we dress, and this is the way we worship. He would say to us today, some of us, you are Irish. And you have a culture. You are, you are uh, Italian and you have a culture. You are Japanese and you have a culture. You're Southern. Everybody's laughing from the North. And you have a culture. Uh, and, so, and so he would say, if you're following these cultural norms and rules and you're appreciating your culture and you are enjoying your culture and you see you see the advantages of the of your culture in the way that you live as your preferred culture good enjoy it enjoy it but as soon as you see your culture as divinely ordained and superior to other cultures and you give your culture spiritual and religious significance to the point that you see your culture as part of what commends you to God, as part of what sets you right with God, as part of what saves you, you've missed it. You've missed it. You're out of line. You're way out of line. And you're actually dishonoring these commands of God by giving them the wrong purpose. You say, well, okay, Paul, what is the purpose of the ceremonial law? Now, this, this, needs, this is the point, is to show you and to show me that we need a Savior. I mean, Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5 tell us this. They are given to show us that we need a Savior. You say, well, Pastor, how does that work? I mean, how do these ceremonial laws of Moses in the Old Testament help me see that I need a Savior? Well, I'll, I'll prove it to you. This afternoon, instead of watching the football game... Uh, go sit down with a cup of coffee, maybe three, because you might go to sleep in the midst of it, and read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Do you know what you're going to say when you get finished with that? Good grief! Who could do all this? That's the point. God says, exactly! That's the point. He said, my, my, my ceremonial laws are an object lesson to teach you that you must be clean to come into the presence of God. Well, I can't do all this to get clean. Yeah, looks like you might need outside help. It's to show you that, um, uh, that the clean laws were given to teach us that we can't just 
get okay with God any old way we want to. Listen, this deal about knowing God and walking with Him is not as a come-as-you-are party or come-as-you-wish party. He said, there's one way to get connected to me. And he gave us all these laws to show us uh, that no matter how holy, and to show the Jews that no matter how holy they had tried to live and be during the week, they still needed a blood sacrifice in order to come into the presence of God in worship. They still had to have an atonement for their sins. And so we have this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of year object lesson of weekly these animals being sacrificed and their blood being spilt as as sin offerings to teach the people that sin must be atoned for and they're going to need a sin offering in uh, an atone to atone for their sins a blood offering a sacrifice to make them okay with God and it was pointing ultimately to the Jesus that these kids just sang to us about He would be the ultimate final sacrifice. And so Paul says all through the New Testament that the only way to honor the ceremonial laws of God, the clean laws, is not to think that they in any way commend us to God. They were never designed to. And if you are complying with them for that reason, you've missed it and you are dishonoring them. But if you see that their entire purpose is to show you that you need a Savior... And that Jesus Christ, in Jesus, He fulfilled all the law. And if you are in Christ, God has credited to you righteousness and holiness. And that we're acceptable to Him. So, wait a minute, I'm not completely righteous and holy. I know, isn't it the darndest thing? I mean, that's the gospel. It's just this amazing, unbelievable, that's unfair. Guilty people should atone for their own sins. Sure. But do you want, I don't want God to be fair with me. I want Him to be gracious, David. I want Him to send Jesus. I, need a, I want somebody else to pay. And He did. He demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Wow. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. Uh, and so Paul is saying here, he's not saying, hey, here's a part of the Bible you can ignore and dishonor. No. What he's saying is this, by continuing to comply with the ceremonial laws to these Jewish Christians, now that Jesus has come and seeing them as religiously and spiritually valuable in any way is is to miss the point. Now, the circumcision group, this group who came from James, saw their Jewish cult, they were false believers. They were genuine but they'd missed it. They saw their Jewish culture as the way of salvation, and yet they were sitting in pews right next to Jewish Christians who believed in Jesus alone for their salvation, but who kept the ceremonial laws as part of their culture, but no longer saw them as uh, a way to be accepted by God. They were in the... Jewish, this this circumcision group, they were in the midst of the gospel-believing church at Jerusalem, but didn't get it right. That's why I said to you a few minutes ago, it's very easy to attend, like this one, a gospel-believing, Jesus-plus-nothing church, and yet not believe it. Believe something else totally. Now, where are you in this thing? And, And so, this is one of the reasons that you should spend some of your time in pe- with people in other cultures. Uh, different from your own. This is why you should spend some of your time this next year, 
Or the next, if you can arrange it, uh, going with, on some of our dogwood mission trips to spend some time with our brothers and sisters in Christ in these other cultures that we partner with in Guyana, in Kenya, in Southeast Asia, in Thailand. Uh, it's one of the reasons that you should get in a small group at Dogwood and you should make sure that you invite or get in a small group with some of our international members of Dogwood Church. Because now we have fully participating, belonging uh, members in our church from, from countries like Ghana and Benin and Nigeria and Romania and Peru and Jamaica and Guyana and on and on and on. And so get in with them because it's good to be with followers of Jesus who have a culture totally different from yours, who do things differently from yours. Because if we do not... We have a tendency, a default setting, there's this gravitational pull away from the gospel towards smug self-righteousness. And we begin to believe that we are acceptable to God and that, we are, uh, that God loves us and we've been set right with God because of our culture or our nation. Now that, that cry may rally the troops... But that's not Christianity. We've got to be careful of nationalism. I love my country. I'm glad I was born here. But, but being an American is not being a Christian. I hope you know that, don't you? There's a ton in our country that don't know that. And so uh, we can get smugly self-righteous and we think we're okay with God over silly things like the length of our hair the length of our skirts, the type of music we do or do not use in our worship services, the number of worship services we attend a week, and what day they're on, what time they're there. I mean, we, we get all into that crazy stuff because of culture. Well, there was a happy ending to the visit down to Jerusalem to hammer out these issues, and the, the happy ending was this. You wrote it down first. They added nothing to the gospel. Now, you might say, well, that's not hard, Pastor. I mean, good grief, can we get on to something else? Well, before we think that's not hard, let me remind you that the people we're, we're seeing wrestle with this were the, were, were the greatest theologian in the history of the church, the Apostle Paul. They were, the, they were James and Peter and the Apostle John, people that, you know, we, we might could guess could be a little bit uh, beyond us spiritually, maybe a little bit more understanding than us, maybe. And yet here we find them. This is like at least 20 years into the Christian movement. And they're still kind of hammering out now. Now what? I mean, they're, they're having a hard time with it. You, th you think it's not going to be easy for us to have a hard time with it? We are always about that close to adding to the gospel, any one of us at any one time. We're great at it, and we've got to be careful with that. Let me give you, if you don't believe it, let me give you a couple of good dogwood illustrations. I, people come to me here often, often. It's not every week, but it's often, and they'll say something like this after a message. Pastor, um, I, I want to become a Christian but I'm not worthy yet. And so I've just got to get my heart right first. Well, what have they just done? Added. Added. That's it. 
They added to the gospel. They just added to the gospel. They said it's Jesus plus becoming worthy to become a Christian. That's adding to the gospel. Let me give you a worse illustration, and it's me. The very first year of the church, I can remember it just as like it was yesterday. The very first year of the church, I was doing door-to-door visits in a neighborhood in Peachtree City on a uh, spring afternoon and uh, after daylight savings time, still had daylight, people were out working in their yards. And I, I caught a, a guy, really nice guy, about 40 years old, sitting on the, his front steps after he'd finished cutting the grass. And I walked up, introduced myself, and, and um, he said, well, sit down, let's talk a minute. He asked me what I was doing. I'm a new minister in the area, and we're starting a new church, and I'm just getting to know some people. And he said, well, I'm kind of, he was interested in spiritual things. And, and so I, I got to talk to him about the Lord Jesus and shared the gospel with him and how Jesus was the way to be set right with God and, and, for, and reconciled to God and adopted into God's family and given God's gift of abundant and eternal life. And um, great conversation. And at the end of, of, of our conversation, he said, Now, Keith, I tell you, I, I've, I've been thinking about this, and I think I'd really like to become a Christian, but I have a question first. He, I said, Okay. He said, Am I going to have to give up drinking beer to become a Christian? And I said, uh, Yeah. Now, what I do? I hate it, but I added to the gospel. I said, no, no, it's not Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus giving up drinking beer after you cut the grass to become a Christian. I just just added right, just slapped it right on there. Now, I have a tendency to do that kind of stuff all the time. Okay, now some of you, some of you Christians and people have been around here a long while, you just started looking at me like this. Because you know I'm a, I'm a teetotaler, right? Total abstinence, no alcohol for me. God said no to me. And so uh, you're, you're asking this question. Well, Pastor, when you become a Christian, aren't you promising to live a certain way? I think that's a fair question. That's a good question. Well, let's look at it. In verse 6, right there in your Bible, chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says that the leaders of the church at Jerusalem added nothing to the gospel that Paul described to them. But in verse 10, they told him to also not forget to remember the poor. You might say, well, pastor, it sounds like to me that the apostle said it's Jesus plus remembering the poor to become a Christian. Now... Let me explain. The Bible is very clear. It has much to say about caring for the poor. We do have to care for the poor. And it looks like here, it does look like at first glance, they're saying receive Christ and get into social work to become a Christian, to be saved. That's what it looks like they're they're saying there. Let me say it this way. Caring for the poor is one of the things that we will do If we are Christians, if we become Christians, we will be turned into that kind of person. In fact, there are many, many things in the Bible that we will and even must do to be Christian. To be a Christian. But there's only one thing necessary to become one. 
Trust Christ. Trust Christ in His substitutionary atoning death on the cross for your sin, my sin. So, stop working. Stop working. Romans 4 and 5 tells us. Now, you see, we we stay really close to adding to the gospel most of the time, so watch out. Stop working for it. Nathan Cole was a semi-illiterate farmer in the state of Connecticut. And uh, on October the 23rd, 1740, Nathan Cole went out into the countryside with masses of people to hear the famous Christian evangelist George Whitfield preach. And uh, he wrote down this testimony... And it made it into the literature, and it's been passed down to us. Let me just read a a little section of what Cole wrote happened to him on that day. He said, And my hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. That is the essence of becoming a Christian. That's why we say, what do you need to become a Christian? Nothing. But we all tend to want to have something, don't we? But it's nothing. And only by the grace of God will you come to God with nothing and thereby gain the whole world. Pray with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.